0: On November 9th, 1989, the world was in the grip of the Autumn of Nations, a series of revolutionary actions taken against the Soviet regime in Eastern Europe that would eventually see the collapse of that dreaded Russian Empire. While this movement began in Poland, East Germany was not immune to the pull of revolutionary action. There had been mass protests and violence in Berlin, in Dresden, in Leipzig, and reformers in the East German government had ousted hardliners in an effort to calm and pacify the population. One of these new reformers was a gentleman by the name of Gunter Schabowski, the new face of the Politburo. He was inexperienced, he had never dealt with members of the communist press before, not that dealing with the communist press was terribly difficult. Members of the Soviet-aligned press had one very simple rule. They never reported about events before they occurred. They were informed by the government what had taken place and the manner in which they were to report them. However, these new reformers wanted to be more, well, frankly, American in their style. They wanted to hold press conferences, wanted to bring more people into the system. Maybe if they did that, they'd stop, you know, burning things. On November 9th, Gunter Schabowski had just returned from a vacation and was handed a list of new reforms the Politburo had pushed through. These included a brand new right to a passport, a very first for the East German people, which would allow eventual travel to the West under government restrictions and guidance. This was just one of many reforms Schabowski was announcing, among many others. During the press conference that followed, Shabowski was asked, very reasonably by a member of the public, when this new policy allowing travel to the West would go into effect. Schabowski's response, loosely translated, was, as far as I know, uh, right now. This entirely off-the-cuff statement was perhaps the worst thing Shabowski has ever said to anyone ever. Upon hearing that immediately... Starting at that moment, individuals would be able to travel to the west. Hundreds of people rushed towards Checkpoint Charlie, the crossing between East and West Berlin. Unfortunately, the border guards were not informed that this change would be taking place because it wasn't intended to. The change in passport policy was designed to be changed over the course of months, not 30 or 40 seconds. The German border guards suddenly panicked and started aiming their weapons at the crowd, telling them to disperse, but more and more people were rushing towards the checkpoint. Eventually, a member of the public, thinking quickly, told the guards to turn on their radios and listen to the official communist government broadcast, which was carrying a repeat of that press conference. Hearing that the party spokesperson had announced an immediate opening to the border, the guards didn't shoot them. They had no direct orders to let anyone across, but they knew why everyone was coming. Eventually, they just started letting people walk right up to the border, waiting for further orders. People on the other side started realizing what was happening and rushed towards the wall as well. Some of them had sledgehammers and power tools and ladders. That day, the Berlin Wall would fall down. The checkpoints couldn't contain the people, neither could the German military, Neither could the Russian governments please that everybody just calm down. This event is rightly hailed as one of the seminal moments in the collapse of the Soviet Union. Following the fall of the Berlin Wall, we would see a rush towards reunification between East and West Germany. Revolutions in Czechoslovakia, in Romania, in Bulgaria, in Yugoslavia, in Albania. The Soviet Union collapses because one inexperienced official started shooting his mouth off. Just imagine the damage he could have done if he had Twitter. This is the show! Welcome to Republican in Exile Season 2. A half-hour exercise in self-torture where I, your frequently angry and frequently absent host, attempts to dig through another week of repulsive green slime that sluices out of Washington like diarrhea from a sick baby. I'm Matthew Hedge, and I'm back, baby. That's right. I have returned to you at the turn of the tide. It's not really a turn of the tide. Nothing's changed. We're all doomed. But, hey, I'm here. That, that's gotta be better, right? instead of just listening to the news come out of someone reasonable and intelligent, you're gonna get me and I'm you know out of my mind. This week, as all weeks huh, all weeks I'm never here. As most weeks, we're gonna be going over a series of horrors and other terrible events that have left me oh so frustrated and caused me to drink heavily. And that's right. I'm back on the sauce mm. Oh that's good. I'm drinking a classic gin and tonic today. Hendrick's Tonic, Twist a Lemon, Twist a Lime, and Q-Tonic Water. If you've never had the spectacular Q-Tonic Water, I advise you to go out and try it. It makes gin and tonics just a little bit better, and gin and tonics make life just a little bit better. So, you know, you you get that. If this is your first time listening, here's the situation. I was once a loyal, devout member of the Republican Party. It was my life. It was the entirety of my personal identity— most of my friends simply referred to me as the Republican when explaining me to others but I'm not a Republican any longer that's right, because the party decided to make an orange, obscene vulgar monster the leader of our party, and then the American people in their infinite wisdom decided to make him the, the leader of the nation did I mention I drink? heavily ha. Oh. oh that's good I shouldn't do that but yeah, no longer a Republican, I have been forced into the Democratic Party at this point because, remember, third parties are for communists, and being an independent is for people who don't have the ability to make up their minds and have a very weak handshake. Every week on this show, theoretically every week, by the way, we're going bi-weekly in season two, so every other week... Uh, I bring you the news, I complain about it, I yell about it, I try to explain it a little, and I try and bring the two sides of the divide together so that we can kill each other and the good, decent, innocent people of the world can survive without our malign, horrifying influence. Well, let's get into the news. Oh boy. A lot has happened since I stopped doing this podcast. Uh, let's try and get ourselves up to date. I've, uh, I've got a list here that I prepared of uh, all of the people that have been fired from the Trump administration since the beginning. So let's go through this. We've had Michael Flynn, Katie Walsh, Katie McFarland, Michael Dubke, Sean Spicer, that was fun, Michael Short, Tara Dahl, Mike Coriello, Rince Priebus, that was fun, Scaramucci, that was a good time, Derek Harvey, George Siflax, Ezra Cohen-Watnick. Carl Icon, Steve Bannon, that was great, Sebastian Gorka, Rich Higgins, William Bradford, Keith Schiller, Tom Price, Jamie Johnson, John Freely, Rick Dearborn, Jeremy Katz, Carl Higby, Dina Powell, Omarosa, who, by the way, had her wedding photographed at the White House without telling anybody. That was weird. I missed that, too. Uh, Taylor Wenyeth, Rob Porter, David Sorensen, uh, Brenda Fritzgerald, Rachel Brand, Hope Hicks, Josh Raphael, Gary Cohen, Rex Tillerson, and Andy McCabe. That is a lot of people. Uh, Let's focus for a moment on the last couple, because those are the ones that are fresh in your mind and the ones that I'm still most confused-slash-angry about. A feeling I call kafangry. Let's start with noted spousal abuser Rob Porter. As amazing as this seems, Rob Porter resigned his position in February. That's about two months ago, even though it seems more like 40, 50 years, give or take. Now, Rob Porter's a very interesting case. Before he went to work for Donald Trump, Rob Porter was chief of staff to U.S. Senator Orrin Hatch from the great state of Utah, who is not only president pro tempore of the United States Senate, but is the longest-serving Republican senator in history. He's still serving today, and he was first elected to office in the election of 1976. Now, when Porter left Hatch's office to go work for the president, he had to have a full background check. As we now know, that background check did turn up evidence of domestic violence against both of his previous wives and against a girlfriend who remains unnamed. The White House knew about all of these very credible allegations, including a photograph of Rob Porter's first wife with an enormous black eye, ...that he gave her after punching her in the face. Now, one can be forgiven for hiring someone who you then find out is not a very good person. However, it takes a special kind of human being to find out this information... ...and then promote that person within the White House to a central position... ...controlling the flow of classified information to the president's desk. And that special person, shockingly, is not Donald Trump but Chief of Staff General John Kelly. That's right, Kelly had found out about the allegations against Porter in the fall, and he waited for the entirety of the winter and into the end of winter, beginning of spring, before, well, doing nothing about it until the press found out. He then went and lied to the press about not knowing, information that was contradicted directly by the director of the FBI, who said, no, we gave that report in. John F. Kelly lied his butt off trying to avoid blame, and then, well, sort of shuffled his feet and looked away, which is something he's very, very good at. So it turns out that John Kelly, who at first I thought was going to bring some sort of respectability back to the White House, is nothing but a, well, cad and a liar. So, yeah. Oh, let's move on. Now it was reported in the news that Rob Porter was dating someone in the White House at the time of his firing, and that someone would be White House Communications Director... Hope Hicks, who isn't going to outlast her boyfriend by much. Hope's Hicks lasted 225 days as the White House communications director, which is significantly better than her predecessor, Anthony Scaramucci, who lasted 10 days, and his predecessor, Sean Spicer, who lasted 49 days, and his predecessor, Mike Dubka, who lasted 88 days, and his predecessor, who was also Sean Spicer, who lasted 45 days before being demoted to just being White House press secretary. And then, of course, had to come back. See, Hope Hicks lost her position as the longest-serving Trump aide because she told a committee of the United States Congress that she lied for the president in public. That's right. Don't worry. They're only little white lies. But Hope Hicks announced that she was lying to the American people on the behalf of the president, and thus, well, she had to go. Hey, who else is gone Uh, Brenda Fitzgerald left. She was the director of the CDC until it was revealed that one month after becoming the director of the CDC, she bought a significant block of shares in a Japanese tobacco manufacturer, a company that the CDC was investigating to determine if there was, you know, health issues with smoking. Brenda Fitzgerald, of course, had to resign. Now, that didn't get a lot of play publicly, which is amazing. Don't you think it's amazing that the director of the CDC having to resign for an obvious instance of corruption and conflict of interest didn't really make the news? These are the times that we're living in. Josh Raphael quit. He was a chief aide to presidential son-in-law Jared Kushner. By the way, we haven't really talked about this, but... The major factions in the White House have been largely decimated. The New Yorkers are largely gone. Bannon's gone. The only people left are the ethno-nationalists like that sticky little lunatic Stephen Miller who's still banging on about how, you know, immigrants are the death of America. But yes, Raphael leaving leaves a major hole in the Kushner faction. Kushner and his wife, Ivanka Trump, are holding on. I think mostly because they're related to the president. If they weren't related to the president, they'd be gone by now. But, eh. Family survives. That's how it works in the mafia. That is, until someone needs to get Fredo'd on a rowboat somewhere. If I was Kushner, I wouldn't go on vacation with the president anytime soon. Very dangerous. Hmm. Gary Cohn's gone. The president's chief economic advisor resigned in protest over the president's enormous tariffs on foreign goods because he said it would start a trade war. You know what it has done? <laughs> it's started a trade war. Which, by the way... I was telling everyone Trump was going to start during the election if he was elected and that it would be to the detriment of America because it's a dumb, 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 dumb idea that only Trump and the hardcore, lunatic ethno-nationalists like the aforementioned Stephen Miller actually think is a good idea. Now, Trump might see some short-term gain from these tariffs, but long-term, this is going to reduce American economic efficiency, it's going to reduce our trading partners, and it's going to, well, cause enormous problems for us overseas— not that President Trump seems to care about, oh God, President Trump. Every once in a while, I remember it actually happened, and this isn't some sort of fun game that we're playing. It's just awful. Ugh. But the gin is good. The gin is always good. The gin is my friend. Which leads us to Rex Tillerson, fired via tweet. Now this is impressive. With Gary Cohn, the president tweeted out that he was supporting Gary Cohn up to the day before he fired the guy. With Tillerson, he announced he was firing the man over Twitter. Didn't actually tell Rex Tillerson he was firing him. Rex Tillerson found out the way that everyone else in America did, from the little Twitter twat of their phones. President Trump fired Tillerson in the middle of tense negotiations between the United States and the People's Republic of North Korea, potentially upsetting the apple cart there a little bit. But Trump is holding the hard line on North Korea, not giving an inch... Wait, I'm sorry. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's going to give them direct one-on-one negotiations, proving that their campaign of creating nuclear weapons and terrorizing all of Asia and the United States actually worked and got them the respect that they wanted. So, um, yeah, pretty much giving in to the demands of a maniacal dictator or lunatic, which is essentially John Kelly's job title. Maybe you should send him to negotiate. That'd be a good idea. Shortly after Tillerson went, we lost the National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster. Now, this is particularly troubling, because McMaster, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, and Rex Tillerson were collectively the core of the faction I described as the adults, the grown-ups in the room, that were fond of telling Trump, no, you can't nuke random countries, no, you can't start trade wars, no, you can't... slap people in the face and shoot someone in 6th Avenue and take bribes, two of them are now gone. H.R. McMasters, of course, has been forced out due to personal conflicts with the President and with Chief of Staff John Kelly, and has been replaced by John Bolton, who holds the record as the craziest member of the George W. Bush cabinet, an individual so out of his mind that Dick Cheney thought he was a little too militaristic. John Bolton, over the last few years, has advocated aggressively for America to be at war with Iran, North Korea, and, well, every other country in existence, so long as they're not friends with Russia. Ah, yes, Russia. That brings us to the last major firing in the last couple of months. Andy McCabe, the assistant director of the FBI, who was let go 36 hours from his retirement. He is, actually, that FBI agent in the movies that says, oh, I'm retiring tomorrow, and then gets shot right, before he can collect the pension. Except instead of getting shot, the president vindictively and childishly fired him for having a wife that was a Democrat at one point. See, Annie McCabe's wife, well before Donald Trump got into politics, ran for public office and took money from the Democratic National Committee, money that was raised by Hillary Clinton. For this reason, Donald Trump is convinced that Annie McCabe, who is a lifelong Republican, was out to get him as part of the massive conspiracy that Trump calls the protocols of the elders of Zion. Wait, I'm sorry. No, that was that was Hitler and the Jews. Oh, um, the massive conspiracy that Donald Trump calls Hillary Clinton. Yes. But Andy McCabe, yes, let go 36 hours before his retirement after serving as an FBI agent for 21 Years, not exactly a fun way out. This was, of course, seen at a, as a veiled side shot at the Mueller investigation. Oh yes, barreling towards a conclusion sometime in the 2050s, well after Ivanka's term as dictator is over. But wait, what's this? Today, that's right, today, the day I am recording this, Monday. April 9th, there has been big movement in the Mueller investigation. It seems that agents of the FBI have raided the offices of Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. What is happening? What is going on? Where's the gin? Well, I'll find out the answer to at least that question after we come back from a word from our sponsors. Oh, I'm running low. Thank you, sponsors. So this leads us to the outrage of the week, which is, of course, the horror that is Michael Cohen. And there's lots of things I could still talk about that I missed. Uh, ben Carson's $31,000 payoff. Vanessa Trump leaving Donald Trump Jr. Connor Lamb winning that special election in Pennsylvania. Uh, the lunacy that's going on with Facebook. The Chinese appointing a dictator for life. Vladimir Putin... Uh, winning his election with 72% of the vote. And you'll notice, if you actually go back and you watch the vote rolling in uh, for Vladimir Putin, at 9 a.m., he had 72% of the vote. At 12 p.m., he had 72% of the vote. At 3 p.m., he had 72% of the vote. At 7 p.m., he had 72% of the vote. You know what's that consistent? When you're rigging the vote. Wait a minute, that's not the outrage of the week. No, the outrage of the week is the two-pronged horror of Michael Cohn and Stormy Daniels. That's right, people. We're talking pornography. Lock the door. Turn on the TV so there's a little more volume. And pray that your parents don't barge in on you. You see, while I was away, it broke that Donald Trump, in his infinite wisdom, mere days after his wife gave birth to their son, decided to celebrate by hiring a porn star to spank him with a copy of Forbes magazine, make sweet, sweet love on him, And then, of course, watch Shark Week, which is just the weirdest detail of this whole thing. Stormy Daniels, pornographic actress extraordinaire, did have an affair with Donald Trump, a one-night stand, and then was paid a significant amount of money, $130,000, to keep her mouth shut. She signed a non-disclosure agreement, which Donald Trump insisted that she honor. Unfortunately for Donald Trump, this news broke, and once Donald Trump's lawyer commented on it, oh, it was fair game for her to start talking about it as well. But the questions related to this affair are vast and unpleasant. Not only, you know, what was it? Like. Oh, good God. Uh, I'm out of gin. Hold on, I'm pausing the recording. Okay, I'm back now. Oh, thank God. Thank God. I needed that. Oh, Lord. So, not only do we have to wonder what the president is like intimately, but we have to wonder where that money came from. It seems that the president's lawyer, who made this $130,000 payment to the porn star to get her to not talk about the president's ding-dong Donald Donger, came from campaign funds, which is, you know, super-duper extra-strength illegal. But where did those campaign funds come from? Well, oh, this is even better. It seems that during the campaign, Donald Trump gave a 20-minute video conference talk to a group of Ukrainian oligarchs allied with Russia in return for $150,000. That's right, 20-minute talk, essentially over the phone, get $150,000 in cash given to the Trump Organization. Mueller's investigation apparently believes that $150,000 was then transferred to the campaign and then transferred, in large part, to Stormy Daniels. This is amazing. This is essentially all of the worst parts of this scandal just wrapped up together in a big, fun bow. It is astonishing that you can get so many of Donald Trump's character flaws into a single story. Entirely too close ties with the Russians, yes. Corruption and taking money inappropriately, yes. Illegal use of campaign donations, yes. Sexual abuse, porn stars, shark week, yes, yes, yes. All of the most repulsive parts of the president's personality laid bare in an orgy of corruption. Now, I have loved the horrifying rotating carousel of nepotism, lies, and self-destruction that has been the president firing everyone. But this scandal is its fresh, it's fragrant, and it has the potential to do absolutely nothing and leave the president entirely alone because the man is Teflon. Nothing sticks to him. He could shoot someone in the middle of 6th Avenue and nothing would happen because that's just the way it works. The president slept with a porn star... And it's not the biggest story in America. Do you know how astonishing that is? If this had happened in any other administration, it would have been front page news for months. The rallying cries for the president to be thrown out of office would have been too big for them to ignore. And yet, Donald Trump bangs a porn star. Nobody's saying dick about it. But this is the political genius of Donald Trump. See, Donald Trump has a political version of what The Simpsons called Three Stooges Syndrome. Season 11, episode 12 of The Simpsons, Mr. Burns, the evil, hierarchical, millionaire, industrialist, villain of most Simpsons episodes, goes to the doctor and discovers that he is very, very ill. He's got everything. He's got pancreatic cancer. He's got juvenile diabetes. He even has hysterical pregnancy, but the doctors tell him that it's all okay. You see, all of Mr. Byrne's diseases are fighting with one another to destroy him. He has so many sicknesses, he has so much illness, that they can't all get through the quote-unquote door to his body at the same time. Like a Three Stooges bit, where all three of the Stooges try and run through a door at the same time, and they get stuck on each other and then fall down. Donald Trump has so many scandals going on at any given moment that none of them can penetrate the American consciousness. He is the living embodiment of human corruption, and as a result, we can't pay attention to any one thing going on with him because there's so much going on with him. It's simply impossible. Three Stooges Syndrome. Now that brings us to good news. What has our good news been this week? Well, I get to pick from several months so I can actually find some good news. And i am decided I'm going to go with the United States Supreme Court denying a stay application in the Pennsylvania gerrymandering case. You see, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decided that the districts for Congress in Pennsylvania were ludicrously gerrymandering. They figured this out by looking at a map of the Pennsylvania congressional districts because they were you know ludicrously gerrymandered they then ordered new maps to be drawn those maps are significantly less partisan and enormously favorable to the democratic party democratic party is going to pick up several seats in pennsylvania thanks to this newly drawn map seats that would have been theirs had they not been gerrymandered into republican hands years ago this will be the map by the time of the next election in 2018. This plays into a larger theme. The Democrats have been doing enormously well in special elections, and it looks like they have a slightly better than 50% chance of taking control of the House of Representatives. This is great. If the Democrats take control of the House of Representatives, they can launch all sorts of fun investigations into Donald Trump and generally make his life a living hell for the next few years. Now, I don't think the Democrats are going to take control of the Senate. That would be a bit of a reach, to be frank. But the House of Representatives, absolutely within their reach. Now, my personal hope is that Paul Ryan loses his seat because I hate him. I hate him on a personal level. I voted for that man. I donated money to that man's reelection election campaigns and donated money when he ran for vice president on a number of occasions. Because, you know, Mitt Romney, genuinely good human being. By the way, might be a senator. That's another piece of good news. Yay, Mitt Romney. Back in the government. Actually talking about how Russia's an enemy. Stupid Obama. Russia. Uh, yeah, that's better. That's better. Calm. I'm calm. There's a reason I stopped doing this show. It makes me very angry. Very angry! (sighs) So, how do you look smart in the coming week? I think the explanation of Three Stooges Syndrome might help quite a few of you out. It is the only explanation I can think of for why Trump keeps getting away with the trash garbage that he's getting away with. But let's play a little game called, who goes next? Who is going to be the next person let go from the Trump White House? Will it be Scott Pruitt? The EPA director, who apparently was taking a sweetheart deal on a rental property from some lobbyists for the oil industry and has been spending all sorts of government money on things he doesn't need. Will it be Ben Carson, who's also been spending money on things that, you know, he doesn't need? Will it be our Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, who during a meeting of the Senate Natural Resources Committee on National Monuments was told a very sad story by Senator Colleen Hanabusa, whose grandfathers, both of her grandfathers, were interred by the American government during World War II. Upon being told this very sad story about her grandparents, Ryan Zenke, who did not know that Senator Hanabusa had Japanese ancestry, responded, oh, konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. Good Lord. Will it be him or... Or will it be the person I actually think is going to be next to go? General Kelly. That's right, Donald Trump and his chief of staff haven't been getting along, and rumors have surfaced that Donald Trump actually thinks he doesn't need a chief of staff. He can run the whole show by himself. If you thought the White House was chaotic before this, look for absolute panic, horror, and the destruction of everything we've known and loved with the departure of General Kelly. Now, John Kelly, terrible human being. Hate his guts. I I supported the man when he was first elected, but the fact that he keeps lying to the American people about his own decision-making process kind of makes him scum-level garbage. So, you know, we'll see him leave and then things will get worse. That's right. The scum-level garbage people are the ones standing between us and the precipice. This really is depressing. Well, let's hear some more of that song about the end of the world. Yeah, well, that's it for me this week. I want to thank our producer emeritus, Jonathan, and all the people at Acast. Acast, making good stories great. Oh, my God, did I not talk about the song at the top of the show? This is 99 Red Balloons, the English translation of 99 Luft Luftballons, a song written in 1982 about what would happen if a large number of balloons accidentally floated over the Berlin Wall and were seen by the Soviet government as some sort of attack from the American side, and you know, launched nuclear weapons. Hey, let's say you want to contact us. If you would like to, we are R I E Podcast at Gmail, R A E Podcast on Twitter, and Republican in Exile on Facebook. Some of your comments, your questions, your concerns, your queries, and I will answer your madness with madness of my own. Well, that's all for this week. As always. Do your very best not to die.